Crossbird point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's show is the latest edition of Mailbag Monday, our weekly mailbag show, answering listener-submitted questions all episode long. If you want to get involved in Mailbag Monday in the future, there's two ways to do it. You can tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. Just send me a question whenever you're thinking of it. Or watch the skies Monday mornings around 9 a.m. Pacific time. I send out a tweet soliciting your questions. You respond to that tweet. I will do my damnedest to get you in the show. If you are not a Twitter user or someone who doesn't tweet, you can email the show. The address is LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. That's LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Those are the two ways to get involved. We do this each week, in-season, off-season, post-season, whatever season. We Mailbag Monday rolls on, so join us. It's it's a fun show. We do it every week. I record it on Monday evenings and post it on Tuesdays. It'll be back next week, so if this is your first Mailbag Monday, welcome. Get in on the action. With all that said... Let's get in the questions. Uh, quick, quick sort of caveat here. Uh, I Like I said, I asked, I asked for the questions on Monday mornings. Uh, this is one of the weird quirks in the Blazers schedule. They actually played Monday evening, and I, I waited till the game ended to record. So a lot of the questions are kind of tailored to what we saw Sunday night in the Blazers win over the Knicks. Uh, but the Blazers just lost to the Oklahoma City Thunder in a game where they didn't look very good on defense. Terrible, in fact. So uh, some of the questions are, are super sort of Knicks-specific, but I'll try to tailor them to the... To, to what happened tonight um, and, and tie in that new context. Uh, just a, you know, MB, quirk in the schedule, messing with Mailbag Monday, and I didn't I didn't want to record before the game, and I didn't want to uh, push Mailbag back in the week, so this is, this is what we're dealing with. All right, let's get into it. The first one comes from Alejandro at Alejo underscore Comas on Twitter, who asks, taking advantage of Ant's good game, figure it was time for the Simons question. I felt like he's looked better this year. The game has slowed down for him and he's making calmer decisions. Thoughts on how Anthony has looked so far. Scooby-Doo at MVH underscore genetics asks, can Anthony Simons become the best player Neil has ever drafted? Let's start with that one because a lot of you asked about Anthony Simons. We're going to talk about him a bunch here in the first segment. Hell no, he cannot become the best player Neil's ever drafted because Neil drafted Dame. Uh, so it's funny, Alejandro, you asked this question after uh, Ant had 13 in the first half and finished with 16 against the Knicks. And then he had um, arguably the best game of his career because the other one where he had a higher scoring night, he played literally every single minute. But against the Oklahoma City Thunder, Simons came off the bench, played 29 minutes, had 26 points. Two rebounds and assists, was 10 of 17 from the floor, 6 of 10 from 3. Really got hot in the third quarter, had a great dunk uh, in the fourth. Um, he was This was as good as he's, as he's played. Uh, prior to this game, I would have said, no, I don't think he's looked better. I think he's looked um, like a guy who has the tools, but not the, but hasn't put to, put it together. Like you know, he's got a quick first step, and he's he's got a jump shot that when it goes in, it looks it looks really clean, but it's a little bit wonky, and he's been missing a bunch of them. And I'm I'm kind of I'm not out on Ant by any means, as we'll talk about here later in the segment. But I'm I'm just you know I just don't think he's I don't think he's a very good basketball player right now. And then he had this type of game, and you're like, oh yeah, well if he does something more akin to this. 
if he's scoring, you know, 15 a game off the bench, he's a totally different player. So in general, I don't agree with you. I do not think he has looked better this year. Um, and in fact, by the, the timing of your question, that's I just heavily disagree. I don't even think he looked good in the second half against the Knicks. But then he had this really good game. So maybe it's my time to eat crow and say that Ant, Ant might be turning the corner. Um, but I'm I may be a prisoner of the moment because I just saw him play maybe his best ever NBA game, best ever offensive NBA game at least. Next question comes from Adam Nakamura at Adam Naka28 who asks, while it was nice to see Simons do well, do you truly see him becoming a point guard? He still acts and looks like a shooting guard to me, but that's just my thought. We know it's just your thought, Adam. That's the nature of sending me a a question or a a tweet or whatever. Um, yeah, he's not a point guard. He's just not, he's not that. Um, I'm not sure he can become that. Point guard is the hardest position to learn. I think there's this sort of um, typical, I like sort of traditional thought that being a big man is the slowest to develop in the league. And I don't think that's true. I think learning point guard at the NBA level is the hardest thing to become. It's something that uh, Kevin Pelton, someone way smarter than me, has has sort of hooked has clued me into, and now I totally agree with him. Um, it's that's just it's just a long way to go for guys to develop to be NBA point guards. Ant doesn't. Listen, on this particular roster, Ant is being tasked with that, and that's just that's just bad roster construction. But he can be an effective shooting guard in the league. Like he's he he can head in that direction. But I do not see him becoming a point guard at any point. Um, he's just it's just he's a long way away from that, and he's certainly not that now. And his the things he's best at aren't point guardy type things. So uh, you got to maximize what guys do well. And if you put them in places where they're going to fail, they're going to fail. Like if you put them in places where they don't get to maximize their strengths, they're going to look bad. And that's what putting Ant at point guard is is doing to him. Uh, the, this it's Neil's fault. Let's let's call a spade a spade. Neil did this to him, and it's um, it's not looking great. Next question comes from Hassan Whitesides Burner at JustinP1111 on Twitter, who asks, after last night's narrow victory, this game against the King, or game against the Knicks, rather, the Blazers' lack of competent ball handlers, he uses confident, actually, but I misread it as competent ball handlers, was on full display in the fourth quarter. Do you think any of the current free agents could help prior to CJ's return? And free agents that Hassan Whiteside's burner lists are Isaiah Thomas, Tim Frazier, Shabazz, Napier, Elia Kobo, Emmanuel Moutier, and Brandon Knight. All those dudes could help. All those guys can sort of dribble and handle the ball at the NBA level. I'm not an Isaiah Thomas guy. Actually, at Raider Tommy Four also mentioned Isaiah Thomas as a possible answer for the Blazers' backup point guard spot. I just I don't watch this team and think that they need to add a five foot nine dude who was good three years ago. That's just I mean Isaiah Thomas. I wish the Celtics didn't do him dirty, but um, he's not a good NBA player now, and he's certainly such a defensive liability that adding him to this particular Blazer roster seems like a nightmare. The other names, uh, I'm 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 not like super excited about any of them, but I think they're all fine in general. Like I think I think it's okay to to Brandon Knight is like a, a competent uh, veteran. Elliot Kobo, not a big fan of his game, but he might be okay. Tim Frazier, like a totally okay fourth point guard. Uh, Shabazz Napier should be in the NBA. It's weird that he's not. Emmanuel Moutier, you know, has been a okay backup at times, was a functional backup for the Jazz. Uh, yeah, I, I, if I had to pick of those guys, I'd probably say Napier, but... Uh, Anyone who can dribble would be better than what we saw at the end of that Blazers game against the uh, Knicks, where the Knicks said, we'll get the ball out of Dame's hands and we'll pressure other ball handlers and they'll screw up and the Blazers' other ball handlers screwed up. Next question comes from Scott, Scott at Scott PTB30 on 
Twitter who asks, playmaking on-ball creation is the most valuable skill in the NBA. We only have two guys with CJ who can do this. Next best is Nurk. I'm not even sure that's true, but I know what you mean. We Should we add a competent backup point guard? See, I, I confuse these teams, so I'm going to say confident backup point guard for this one instead of relying on very below-average playmakers and Ant, Gary Trent Jr., Hood. Something like Hood and a second-round pick for George Hill. Love this idea of a trade. I'm not sure that gets it done for Oklahoma City, but um, I think George Hill would be a huge upgrade. I think the price that price is about right for what um, I think the Blazers should try to give up. They don't have a. T- they'd have to trade a, a kind of a deep second round pick because they've they've given away a, a handful of them in the last couple seasons and the Ariza deal and the Hood deals the last two years. So yeah, I lo- I mean I love the idea of adding George Hill to this roster. I'm all over it. Next question comes from Nathan who asks. I was wondering if you could address the question of whether to bring in external help, if possible, from a best-case, worst-case scenario perspective. Best-case and worst-case scenario are, are distinctly different. Best-case is that the Blazers get internal improvement and find a lineup combination that works, and one of the young guys, aside from Trent Jr., turns into a real player. All of this strengthens us, that's a collective pronoun for the present, and future as we finish fifth or sixth in the playoffs and win round one with Nurk and CJ back. If the best case plays out, there's no need to bring in external help. Worst case is we don't get internal improvements to finish seventh or eighth, forcing us to play in the first round. In this case, is it worth it to see what we have or should we have brought in someone? So yeah, I think um, I actually think the worst case scenario is significantly worse than this. Like the worst case scenario is they finish 11th out of the playoffs or 10th um, and are in the and have to win two games to make the eighth seed um, in the play-in tournament. I think that's a much more realistic worst case scenario for the Blazers. Um, but in general, yeah, I think I think I think they should bring in veteran help. Um, you know, Ant was better in this game, but they have a roster spot open. They can add a guy on a minimum. I kind of think maybe they should bring in another big. Um, so Cantor doesn't have to play so, 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 so many minutes. Um, and you can, a guy who can maybe play a little bit of four, two would be valuable. Or maybe you can play him at five and play a little bit of Giles with the four, although Stotts has gone away from that. But yeah, I think they should add veteran help. Like, I think this roster is is already thin. I think they're struggling right now to be a competent defensive team and adding a veteran who has NBA experience and can give you eight okay minutes is really the path forward for the Blazers. If I sort of had to pick on how to how to fix the roster, I would say trade for a veteran guard, sign a veteran big, like, because I think you can sign sort of like a tall person off the street who's more towards competent, um, just to throw out some names that I've thrown out before, Dwayne Dedman, John Henson, um, those types, uh, versus like trading for someone who's in the league right now to be a competent guard. So th- that would be my path forward for the, for this team is, is, uh, trade for the guard, go ahead and sign the big outright. All right, second segment, come back and answer more of your questions. But first, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. Look, we're heading into one of the great betting weeks of in America each year. Uh the the weeks leading up to the Super Bowl are it's it's the it's the most fun sporting event to bet on. Um it's the sporting event that the most of us bet on. So it is it is betting season, y'all. But if you're not a uh, football better or not a not a Super Bowl watcher, uh, the NBA's rolling every single night. So if you are looking for an online sports book, there's only one place that has you covered and one place we trust, and that's BetOnline.ag. So sign up today for a free account at BetOnline.ag and use the promo code Locked On. You'll get a fifty percent welcome bonus with your first deposit. Listen, like I said, it's it's betting season. I don't need to tell y'all. You you know when the Super Bowl is. It's a week from this coming Sunday. If you didn't know, I just I spoiled it for you. 
And in those in those two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl, there's a whole mess of NBA games. So don't sit on the sidelines. Get in on the action and don't forget to use that promo code Locked On. You receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right. So we talked a bunch about Anthony Simons. There's a lot of questions about Anthony Simons following, uh, you know, CJ McCollum's injury in that game against the Knicks. It'd be funny to, uh, if the if the mailbag had been spaced out a little bit differently, I think there would have been a lot of excitement about Anthony Simons. Maybe we were all wrong and he's the truth after all. But then there would be more panic about how bad the Blazers' defense looks. So you take the, you just take what you can get. Scheduling, ha- weird NBA scheduling is going to mess with mailbag. Um, but it's always funny, sort of the the tone of the, the tone of the podcast is very much colored by uh, which game happened most recently. But let's keep it rolling. Let's not talk about tone. Let's let's get to some questions. This next one comes from Dave Tedesco at David A Tedesco on Twitter, who asks. Any Robert Covington's lack of offensive production, bad shooting? Any takes, excuse me, any takes on Robert Covington's lack of offensive production, bad shooting? Do you expect this to improve? Yeah, I've I've talked a little bit about this in the past, and so I'll just hit this quickly. Uh, I think sometimes Rocco has taken shots where he catches the ball and decides he's going to shoot regardless. So maybe he fumbles the pass and still tries to shoot it, or the defense closes out a little bit harder on his right hand than he would have expected to, and he still shoots it kind of a rushed or hurried shot or a shot that's more contested than he wants. But specifically, against the Knicks he just missed shots he can make um he's been shooting some bricks he's he's really he was looking like he was kind of getting there um he was having inconsistent nights but hitting his averages and now he's just really really struggling I don't have a take I I I He's a better shooter than this and he has a long track record of betting being a better shooter you kind of expect it to improve Next question comes from Tanner Russ at Tanner Russ 7 on Twitter who asks if the Blazers had my fantasy basketball starting five are they making it to the finals the starting five is Damian Lord, Terry Rozier, Brandon Ingram, Danilo Gallinari, and Larry Nance Jr. Hell no, that team is... Hold on. My friend Bishop Bullwinkle just walked in. Uh, Bishop, do you want to grab the mic real quick and tell Tanner what you think of this question? Yeah, I mean, look at... Bishop, look at this roster. Is there any way that uh, the front a front line with Danilo Gallinari and Brandon Ingram can defend enough to make the NBA Finals? Tell no, tell no, no, no. Tanner, you're not even making the fantasy finals with that group. Get out of here. Next question comes from Sam at Sam Beyond That on Twitter, who asks, after they showed great defense in the zone in the first half, why did Terry Terry seemingly step away from it in the second half? So this this is, like I said, really Nick specific. The Blazers did step away from the second half. But guess what, Sam? They came black and they came back and they played so damn much zone against OKC. And uh, it was b- bad. They played it poorly. Um, the zone was lazy and just, it was crappy against OKC. And I think, um, he, I think sometimes you just switch up defenses because uh, you don't want to show the team the same exact look every single time down the floor, unless you're just an elite zone team and the Blazers aren't that. Uh, so there's reasons that you wouldn't just play the exact same zone defense every single time down the floor. And they, and they switched up a little bit for in terms of like how many guys are at the front and who's at the front. But um Against OKC, they bust out a bunch of zone, and the Blazers' communication was terrible. They were losing the wrong guys. I mean, they made Mike. They just kept losing Mike Muscala in the zone, um, and then they were letting guys beat them off the dribble in the zone. And then if you beat them off the dribble, you're even in worse help positions. You know, the whole idea of the zone is you keep people in front of you, and you can recover to a spot. They were so bad at it in the in the 
uh, first half against OKC. It was just embarrassing. So, I mean, you go you go away from it because they're not perfect at it. But in general, I think it would have made more sense to see a, a tiny bit more of it against the Knicks. Next question comes from Andy Hawkins at AHawk80 on Twitter who asks, Apologies if I missed this, but with Roy's blessing, why is Melo still not wearing number seven? Uh, to change NBA, jer- NBA jerseys, you kind of have to tell uh, teams early in the op- tell like the NBA early in the offseason because they're literally printing your jersey. So if you don't, if you're late, like the way the way it worked with Roy's blessing, Melo basically would have had to buy out from the league his old jerseys, and it wasn't worth it to him to do that. He he joked it was too expensive. Um, it's uh, like I think Anthony Davis wanted to change his jersey when he first got to the Lakers, but he decided pretty late in the offseason, and the NBA had already printed out you know whatever ten thousand Anthony Davis jerseys, and and so he didn't get to uh, he didn't get to switch numbers. So that that's why he hasn't changed. Uh, if Melo's back for year a uh, third year, which we'll see, we're a long way away from making that decision. Uh, maybe then he'll switch. Next question comes from Scooby Doo at MVH underscore Genetics on Twitter, who asks. Can Harry Giles be a real solution as a backup five when, after Ennis Cantor leaves next season? Probably not, no. He's, I mean, probably not. I think Harry Giles is a one-year guy. I mean, Giles has has some skills, but, did, like, you you can, if you watch him play, like, and think that he's, uh, no, I just don't, I don't think he's going to develop into, like, a really solid backup five. I think he's going to be an interesting third option at center for a long time of his career, but, um, I don't see him being, if the Blazers want to be a team that's like a home court advantage type team in the playoffs, I'm not sure Harry Giles can be your backup center. Next question is also from Scooby-Doo who asks, is Hoodie okay? It seems like his recovery from Achilles is affecting his long-term viability on the second unit. Well, he had been starting. So what about his long-time viability in the, uh, first unit, y'all? Um, yeah, he he missed today's game against OKC. He was late scratch with a quad injury. He suffered late against or uh, sustained late against the New York Knicks. Uh, yeah, he he was finally looking good, right? He um, game against the, the Spurs. He's finally got it, got his rhythm. It's just going to take a while with Hoodie. I don't think we know anything yet. Um, for me, I'm willing to be patient. He looked okay, uh, you know, third game of the season against the Lakers, and then had ten days, twelve days where he looked not good, like really, really bad. Um, and then he kind of bounced back in the starting lineup and he was, um, he's starting to find his rhythm a little bit before this quad thing. So I don't know. I mean, long-term viability, I, I just have no way of knowing, but I don't think he looks good yet. And I think you have to give him a little bit of patience. Next question comes from VCA at VCA on, on Twitter. I might be pronouncing that one wrong. If I am, you know where to find me. I'll get it right next time. I promise. Over the last several seasons, there's been a lot of talk about the Blazers' ability to develop talent. Where do you rank them against organizations like Miami and Toronto? I mean, they're definitely behind those two teams. Those are the best two teams of developing talent, finding and developing talent in the league. Um, yeah, I think the Blazers are, you know, in the top half of the league. Uh, I think they're one of the teams that's really good at sort of finding guys, tailoring them to what they need to work on and getting them to fit in the system next to Damon CJ. Um, they haven't really developed any of those sort of like tertiary stars, but you know, Nurk was not a much of a player in Denver had lost his spot and they kind of reclaimed him. They've, you know, so I think he, he belongs in the player development category in in some ways, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're not Miami and Toronto. Certainly not. Next question comes from Joseph, who says, who asks, are my dreams of CJ being an all-star shattered with this injury? Is there still hope? Probably no hope. Uh, CJ might not even be back on the court by the time the all-star break happens, much less the voting for all-star. He was having a great year. I feel a little bit bad because I said in this podcast, I said I, he's going to be an all-star and then he got hurt days later. I feel like I jinxed him a little bit, but yeah, it's 
it's done. He, he was having a great year and injuries happen and they stink. It's a bummer. Next question comes from Ian Armstrong at Strong Comedy on Twitter who says, there were a lot of possessions where Dame wasn't bringing the ball up the court it's against the Knicks. Is that something? Is this something new that they worked on in practice this week or am I just a dum-dum who is only noticing it because CJ isn't on the court? Um, Ian, you might be a dum-dum, but you're not a dum-dum for this. Yeah, I think uh, I think that was one of the things the Blazers definitely tried to do was uh, more possessions where Dame wasn't the primary ball handler. Obviously, when CJ's on the court, it's easy just to defer, you know, swing it across, say CJ you take it this time uh it's a little more pronounced when it is Rodney Hood or Gary Trent Jr or Carmelo Anthony or or Anthony Simons uh it's just more obvious to be like oh no they've, they've put it in someone else's hands this is this seems like something but it seems like they did try against the Knicks a, a handful more things of just sort of getting Dame off the ball um early and, and running a handful more things with uh with him off the ball. So I think that's, I, I think that's definitely something they put an emphasis on in practice for sure. And I think that's uh, astute of you for noticing Ian, not a dumb, not something a dumb, dumb would notice. All right, let's come back in the third segment, close out the show with more of your questions, but first let's talk about rockauto.com. Y'all know rockauto.com. They're the family business that's been serving auto part customers online for 20 years. And you can go to rockauto.com right now to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They got everything you need. From engine control modules to brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Whether it's your classic or daily driver, you can get everything you need in a few easy clicks, and all of it is delivered directly to your door. Plus, the rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate, so you can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, the specifications, and the prices that you prefer. And oh, those prices, that's the best part. Because at rockauto.com, they're always reliably low, and they're the same for professionals as they are for the do-it-yourselfers. So why spend twice as much for the same parts? You don't have to do that. Instead, you can go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And while you're there, make sure you write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Today's show is also brought to you by Built Bar. Y'all know Built Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar ever. If you are unfamiliar with Built Bar, well, this is the best tasting protein bar ever. I got a box right here in my desk. Um, it's something I eat regularly, a snack, a go-to snack of mine. Because Built Bar comes in 18 amazing flavors and each of them are covered in 100% real chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. They've got a candy bar-like texture. If you have dabbled in the world of protein bars in the past, you know some of them are chalky and dry and gross. That's not what Built Bar is doing. They are making a delicious bar. They're making the best protein bar ever. I mean, that's written right here in big letters at the top of the ad copy, but it's also true. I've, I have, I have not eaten a better protein bar. This is the best tasting one I've ever had. That's, I would have told you that anyways, but listen, I wouldn't lie to you now. I'm too deep into this, uh, into the game. I, I really like Bill Bars and you will too. Not only because they're delicious, but because they're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. Good and good for you. So go get yourself one. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listen to Locked on Blazers. Let's keep it rolling with Mailbag Monday. We got some trades to talk about here in the third segment. Before we get there... First question comes from Pick to Click at Pick2C on Twitter, who asks, Is it too early to grade the Derek Jones Jr. signing as a failure? 
two years for $19 million with a player option for year two. He's another player. He's another Portland wing that can't shoot and never could. Tim asks, I'm curious to see what you see with Robert Covington, Derek Jones Jr. would have to be in order to be Alfaruk Aminu and Mo Harkless besides just play better D. Duh. I liked what you said about Chief and Mo compared to them. Seems like on paper they are better defenders, but as a team, the Blazers are awfully worse. Why and what would you say they could tweak to become Chief and Mo? Because I'm real close to just smashing the panic button with these two. Yeah, I mean, this the signings, these two signings haven't been great, but I, I grouped these two questions together because I think it's it's maybe interesting to talk about these two together in some ways. But let's let's talk let's let's first start with pick to click and then we'll get to Tim. But I, I want to read them both first up front. So it kind of seems like uh in some ways. Uh, pick two C. I am, I'm assuming that you are mentioned that you're saying these guys can't shoot because you're recalling Alfaruk Aminu and Mo Harkless bricking threes in the playoffs. And boy howdy, did they brick threes in the playoffs? It happened every year. It was disheartening. But during the regular season, Mo Harkless and, and Alfaruk Aminu were not as bad as shooters at Derek Jones Jr. Let's just put that right there. In 2016-17, Mohawkless shot 35% on 194 three-point three attempts. In the following season, 17-18, shot 41.5% from deep on 114 threes. That's not a bad three-point shooter. That's like, those are, are good numbers. He was under 30% in 2018-19, truly abysmal, and then no longer on the team. And in four seasons, Alfaru Kaminu shot 35% from three on almost 1,200 attempts. 1,183 point attempts. He was slightly below league average, including a career best 37% from three in the 17 18 season. 17 18, Alfred Camino shot 37%. Mo Harkless shot 41.5%. Listen, that ain't happening with the Blazers' current wing core. So, um, yeah, I've put on my cape for Alfred Camino and Mo Harkless, but the idea that the Blazers have always had incompetent shooting wings is just maybe not true, pick to click. They've had dudes who maybe struggled in the playoffs, and for sure, Chief and Mo were bad in the playoffs. They, they held the Blazers back with their lack of shooting in the playoffs. But during the regular season, they were highly competent. Derek Jones Jr. shooting 10 of 40 from three this season. That's 25% if you're not great at math. If you are great at math, you already knew it was 25%. You nailed that right away, and I apologize for yelling. But in any case, I had to put my cape on to defend Chief and Mo because they, were, they had a baseline of competency that Derek Jones Jr. maybe hasn't hit yet. And still... It is way too damn early to call this signing a failure. Way too early. It's wild, honestly. It's wild to think uh, 15 games into the season that that this is a failed signing. They play 72 games, dog, and he signed up for 150. So at some point, you got to say this dude's struggling and it is what it is. But I'm not there yet. And I'm certainly not there yet on failed signing. Uh, I think I think that's too much. Uh, also, I I could just put I I put this Alfaruka Minu and Mo Harkless cape on, and I'm not taking it off. Here's what Rocco and and Derek Jones need to do to get on that level. One, they need to help the Blazers become not one of the five worst defenses in the league. Uh, we are continually moving moving the goalposts on this one. At one point, I was thinking maybe the Blazers could be like 15th in the league in defensive efficiency. Then I'm like 20th. Now I'm like 20. Fourth, 
Not one of the bottom five defenses in the league. Uh, they're not winning a championship with this crew because they just can't defend well enough. But they can get to a spot where they're where they're competitive against every single team in the league as long as they're not horrific on defense. And that's where they're at right now. Uh, Mo and Chief played on teams that were darn good on defense, sixth in the league one year, um, and some teams that were bad, uh, 25th in the league one year, according to my notes, 26th in the league, excuse me, according to my notes. So, I mean, they've... They've been bad, but Derek Jones Jr. and Robert Covington just have to um, make some open threes. Der- Robert Covington's capable of it. Derek Jones Jr. has not been in his career, but he does some other stuff, and I think he can. Um, I think he can be better than a twenty-five percent shooter from three. Uh, it's, but but it just it's defensive competency. That's what they need. Next question comes from Edward Aloysius SpongeBob Van Halen at Bob underscore Deeger on Twitter, who asks between. Ant, Harry, and Nas, whose game do you think would benefit most from having a big-minute role on a bad team? Plebe from Portland, at Malnati on Twitter, says, What types of moves do you see, if any, happening as we get closer to the trade deadline? And thoughts on moving Anthony Simons to a bad team? Think he could start on a non-playoff team and honestly might need a lot of minutes to truly develop. Y'all want to get rid of Ant and not only get rid of him, but send him to a bad team? This seems mean. Going to send send Anthony Simons to Detroit just because... He's not good enough to be a regular contributor on a playoff team. You know, um, Ant was a lot better in, in in this game against OKC. You know, like I said, I think this was maybe the best offensive basketball game he's played. Obviously, that Kings game a couple years ago was wild, but he, he played literally every minute and scored 37 points. Um, in this game, he only played 29 minutes and scored 26 points. So he's like, he was ahead of his own pace um, from that Kings game in, 20, in 2019. Uh in general, the guy who can dribble would benefit most from being on a really bad team, Anthony, Anthony Simons. Um, Harry was on a bad team with the Kings, and it didn't work out great for him. And Nazir Little doesn't have enough individual offense where being on a worse roster would help him, to be quite honest. I think he's the kind of guy who would actually benefit from just like playing with good players. Like Nas, maximizing Nas might be starting him because you get to play him with more good players. Um but so I think Ant would be the guy. Um, I, but I don't. I just I don't want to wish him to go to a bad team. Capital B as as you've used. But you know, yeah, that's my honest opinion. What types of moves do I see happening? Plebe from Portland asks. Um, I think they might add a veteran ball handler. I think they could add a veteran big um, via trade and or and and free agency. Uh, but I don't. I do think they're going to be patient with this particular group um, unless injuries force them kind of force their hand a little bit. But I think in general um, they're going to be patient and wait until you know the end of February. February before we really start to see them uh, re reconfigure the roster. Neil, Neil is really good at in season trades. Like it's, it's maybe his peak skill as a as a roster builder. So he's not afraid of it, and he's actually really good at it. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if he does it again. Next question comes from Ido at Ido six 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 six, who asks: Lately, Cantor is looking like an actual defensive contributor. Can this trend continue for the long term? No, it can't because he's a bad defensive player. He did have five blocks against the Hawks, but if you watch the game, uh, if you strip a guy going up for a jump shot, that's called a block, and Cantor had three of those. He's got good he's got good strong hands. Um, his problem are his feet. <laughs> he's, he's slow um, laterally, and he's not a leaper, um, so he's not a shot blocker, even, even, even in that five-block game. Uh, I thought he did play really nice defense against the Knicks. Um, there are specific matchups, uh, particularly against non-shooters, 
shooting bigs who want to um, who are not super fleet of foot, like say a Julius Randle, that Cantor can be a competitive defender against. Um, I don't think he was an elite defender, and the Blazers at the end of that game against the Knicks couldn't stop them for just to save their lives. Um, but then the bad defensive Cantor got eaten alive by a small athletic group from OKC. It wasn't only Cantor. In fact, I mean, there was a whole shitty defensive effort from the whole team, but Cantor was part of that group, and uh, they're playing zone in some ways to, to maximize what Cantor can do, um, having him not be put in so many just natural pick and rolls and maybe keep him always as sort of like a help and space defender. Uh, and even then, the OKC carved up the Blazers with getting into the paint and then kicking out and then... and um, catching them just with bad weak side rotations, a little bit too slow, not just not working hard enough to recover to the ball as it, as it swung sides of the court. And Cantor was part of the problem. I think he can be a competent defender against certain teams, but no, he's not a long-term good defensive player. He's, he's been in the league too long. Next question comes from Jay. says, hey, is it me? Was the hype over Gary Trent Jr. too much after his bubble production? His defense doesn't seem to be as good as it was, plus teams, plus he seems like a black hole on offense and won't pass when it gets to him. And if the three ball isn't there, he just dribbles into a mid-range jumper. With him being a restricted free agent next year, do you believe the Blazers are what do you believe the Blazers are best doing with him? I still believe in him, but I worry he will want too much and Neil will overpay maybe a trade debt, maybe a trade at the deadline where he has some value will be best suited. Yeah, it kind of remains to be seen. Uh, the problem with trading Gary Trent Jr. as an expiring contract is the team that he goes to also has to pay him. So uh, you, you, it's harder to trade a guy like that um, entering. He's not like a sexy expiring contract. He is a young player that you would, if you trade for, you would you would want to be making a long term commitment too. So um, it may limit where it may sort of limit his trade appeal in some ways. Yeah, I I think. Gary has been kind of a black hole offensively. He um, he just he's a guy who looks at the rim and wants to shoot. Uh, the Blazers have a lot of those on the team, and he's one of them. Uh, he's when it goes in, it looks really well. But some of his um, some of his decision making on when to shoot is has has been poor, and he's just not a passer. It's just not, it's not in his skill set. Um, yeah, I think. I I don't th- you know if you listen to this podcast, I I was c- careful to say that. Trent won't continue his bubble production because he shot 11 threes a game and made half of them. He wasn't going to do that. That's wild. He was red hot in those games. Um, but I thought he would be more towards the player, um, more towards that player than, than he's been so far this season. But, uh, he's, it, I mean, he he's looked better the last couple games. He wasn't great against OKC, but he was totally okay against the Knicks, and he was kind of totally okay as a, as a starter um, against OKC. I mean, he had 22 points. He played a ton of minutes. He basically didn't do anything else. Uh, one rebound, no assist, two steals. Uh, he wasn't he wasn't terrible in this game. He wasn't super good. Um, I'm I'm not. I, I think what you do is you hold on to Gary and hope that he plays his way into earning whatever contract he earns. Right. It's, you don't, you don't overpay him if you don't have to, but you want him to be really good and you want to have, you want him to be too expensive. Like that's the best case scenario for the Blazers is that, is that he's so darn good that you have to make a weird financial decision. Next question comes from Dermot who asks, do you think the Blazers could pull off a trade acquiring another star level talent without giving up CJ? I'm picturing a net style all in trade where we would go up, let's say Nurk, 
DJ Gary in a bevy of picks for another max contract player that f- could form a big three with Dame and CJ. So that that money doesn't get you quite to max th- those three guys, which is one of the problems for the Blazers that they don't have um, tradable big contracts that aren't Dame and CJ to sort of make the money work. And they don't have um, sexy young young players that sort of the Karis LeVert, Jared Allen types that would entice teams to give up a star. Um I'm not sure. I just, I'm not sure that they could get a, I don't think they'd get a James Harden, right? Um, I think they could get a Drew Holiday. So like someone who's not quite an all-star, but is a very, very good player for that type of package. Um, but is a Drew Holiday worth it for six draft picks, Nurk, uh, Gary Trent Jr. and Derek Jones? Like probably not, right? I mean, one of the Blazers problems is that they kind of, um, in some ways emptied the clip. Like they traded two first round picks for Robert Covington. So they can't trade another first round pick until 2023. That limits your moves for a big star. They don't have sort of big money contracts um, to trade and make it happen. They got a lot of young guys who maybe they need to bring back. Uh, So it's, um, it's not easy. I don't see that being a path forward for them, but uh, I do think you have the right idea of what type of package it would take. Nurk, uh, Derek and Gary seems kind of like about the right number of, of assets. Dr. J asks, would slash should we, we trade Nurk, Robert Covington, Hood, Derek Jones, any one of them for Andre Drummond? Obviously only if there's an agreement that Drummond resigns after the season. Here's my rationale for this or a similar trade. I love Nurk. That being said, he can't stay healthy. The greatest ability is availability. Do we try to move him for what would be a downgrade at center, but for an asset which is much more likely to be consistently there. I would argue while Drummond is not as good as Nurk in helping teams win an individual game, he's always playing, and in the end, that may be more important. Yeah, um, I, I if you, your logic is sound, Dr. J, but Andre Drummond isn't my guy. I think your logic is is totally fair and i think it's a reason trade that wouldn't be um, a crazy overpay for the kind of price you're describing but andre drummond isn't my guy so no next question is from jacob who asks do we know why kevin Clabro quit was it just because of the pandemic or was he not vibing in portland do you think he will return to the sonics broadcast when they come back that last that last assumption is a lot i hope the sonics come back but i um Let's 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 hope. Um, I don't really have a great sense on why Calabro quit. Um, I really liked Casey. Got to be um, have a have a really good relationship while he was here with him. Uh, but I think I think was the the reasons you mentioned was that the pandemic was maybe he didn't want to go through the grind of calling a bunch of games off TV and maybe he wanted to step away. Uh, like he wants to get, he wants to get back into television broadcasting to some extent in the future, um, whether that's on the national broadcast. So you travel a little bit less or with a team, I don't know. But when I, when he, um, stepped away from the team when he, when he decided to quit, uh, I reached out to him and he told me the same thing he said publicly to someone else. I, I'm not exactly sure where it was, but I know I saw him say the same thing is that it, he's not retiring. He's just taking a break and then he'll see what's next. So yeah, I, I assume he comes back to some extent. Next question comes from Eli. Eli wrote a long, wrote me a long note, sent me a trade screen cap. Eli is a first time question asker who sent me a trade that I, uh, y'all, I don't like it. 
<laughs> the trade is the following. The Portland Trailblazers received Carl Anthony Towns and Jake Lame in exchange for CJ McCollum and Ennis Cantor. Here's the explanation from Eli. Minnesota gets to lock up an all-star level player for four seasons. And if doesn't if this doesn't work, we actually have money to find a free agent slash trade to be the co-star to Dame's shown leadership. With keeping mellow and with keeping mellow and Harden name Harden naming us in his wish list, it just feels like Portland could land someone. Although I actually think this could work. Nurk could make the best backup center in the league. We get more athletic and the Lewardstown pick and roll combo seems sweet. Yeah, here's the thing. I think this trade kicks ass for the Blazers, but it might kick a little too much ass. Um, CJ McCollum is better at basketball right now than Carl Anthony Towns, but Carl Anthony Towns is 26 years old and CJ McCollum is 29. They both have contracts that run. I think CJ's run f- runs four more years and Towns runs three more years. I don't know why the Timberwolves are trading for 28 year old Dennis Cantor and 29 year old CJ McCollum uh, to pair with whatever their rebuild is. Like they might be in danger of losing towns eventually because he might just want to change a scenery and because he'll have given them nine years of his career and they'll have been bad every single one of those years, except when they briefly had Jimmy Butler and they got to play in one playoff series. But I don't understand why the Timberwolves will do this. I don't, there's no appeal for me um, from the T-Wolf side. So this isn't a hell no from the Blazers. This is the hell yeah. I think Carl Anthony Towns is skilled a player as there is in the whole league. He's a He's an absolute force on offense when he's healthy. Uh, but I I just can't see the T-Wolves doing this. And <laughs> I'll let you tell Nurk that he is uh, he's the backup now. Also, you can tell Rich Paul that too. <laughs> He'd love to hear it. Thanks to all of you who participated in Mailbag Monday. That's those who sent in questions and those who are listening to my voice right now. I really sincerely appreciate it. The other thing I would appreciate is if you go to iTunes, go to Apple Podcasts, and leave this podcast a five-star review. It helps the podcast be more visible. Um, I want this to be the best Trailblazers podcast that there is, and you helping other people finding it by reviewing it on the podcast service that the majority of listeners use really helps other people find it. So do me a favor. Shoot me a five-star review on, uh, on iTunes. Also, tell your friends about this podcast. That's the even simpler. Not as, uh, not as sort of visible out there in the world, but still very much appreciated. Tell them this show is available wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked on Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.